Good morning. If you're down today, you apparently didn't come from outside. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nice this morning. I know the one thing I don't miss about winter is the clouds and the gray sky. I don't know if you... I always forget how bad I dislike constantly living in gray um, skies, but I do know that God always has a spring and always a summer, and while some areas may not have those quite like we do as Christians, um, God is faithful to deliver us from all that the devil tries to to bring in our lives. I was reading this morning in Judges, and just reading the story of Gideon up to before the battle, and just reminded that, you know, the devil always wants to destroy us. And that's what the Midianites were doing. They were just destroying the people of Israel. And, but God still... Love them. He he allowed the Midianites to come and bring destruction for a purpose, so that he could bring them back to himself. And God didn't use the guy that everybody would have thought. They pick he picked the guy who was hiding, threshing wheat, and was so afraid to follow through with God's call to sacrifice that he did it at night so he wouldn't be caught. And yet God used Gideon. And was patient with Gideon when Gideon didn't understand, wasn't sure he could trust God the way that he should. And what was God's? God was patient and he gave him time. And then we all know what happened. God delivered the people of Israel through Gideon. And it wasn't, it had nothing to do with him in the sense that it was all God's power, it was all his patience and grace and mercy. So just a reminder to me this morning that, you know, spring is coming and winter is still, it's likely we're going to have another week of winter, but um, God is faithful. And no matter what the, de- the lies of the devil are, it may be telling you this morning, they're not true. God is faithful to deliver us from all that the devil would try to destroy in our lives. So please stand with me as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministry and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
Lord, we thank you that you give your spirit, that we need your spirit's move in our midst. Lord, this is not something that is should be rare in the church, but should be a daily practice to see your spirit move in healing and deliverance and uh, words of knowledge and wisdom and prophecy and uh, tongues, Lord. And Lord, we are not here because we think that we have something to offer. We're here because, Lord, you say that when we come together as a body that you're here with us. Lord, make your presence evident and move by your spirit, Lord, for the building up of your church, we pray. Lord, give me words. Help me to be clear, to be faithful to your word, and Lord, that your spirit would speak through me. Lord, we pray and ask that you would remove all distraction and we rebuke any attempts of Satan to distract us from hearing the faithfulness of your word, Lord. Pray that you would help each and every one of us to be prepared to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We praise you and thank you for your faithfulness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So... We're finally at the end of the list of spiritual gifts this morning. It's been a while. Dad said, oh, you just preach one, one week in February, which, I mean, February is a short month, but um, I have had a long break, but you would not have wanted to hear a sermon from me in those <laughs> three weeks, I'm just saying. It probably would have been very uh, unorganized, but... God in His faithfulness did not leave us without His Spirit. He gave His Spirit just as He promised, and with that He gave gifts. We've already talked about this, but all these gifts that Paul are, is speaking about in, Roman, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are gifts for the common good. And I know you might be sick and tired of me saying that, but we need to be clear because... Many people want to take this last get, a pair of gifts that I'm going to speak on today, and they want to strip it from that idea. They want to use it and, and say, well, this is something that we don't actually need anymore. No, we do. Just as much as we need all the other gifts that are mentioned here, it says that it's for the common good. It's not something that is just... Well, if, it's, if we have it, it's okay. No, it's something we should earnestly desire to have. So what, what are we ta- talking about this morning? Well, if you look at the second half of chapter 10, verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, To another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And this is... Probably, in your lifetime, one of the most controversial of all the gifts, shockingly, is tongues and interpretation of tongues. You can talk to most people, even people who are against gifts, and they'll say, oh yeah, God still heals. 
They'll just say, well, he doesn't heal in that way anymore. Or they'll say, oh yeah, we need faith. Or they'll say, oh, we need wisdom. We need knowledge. But you mention the word tongues, and boom, a wall goes up. Usually. Not always. Because many people have been led to believe that this gift is out of control. That it's some kind of, kind of like a, a, a frenzy that comes upon someone and they're out of control. But I would say, because of what Paul says, that that is a complete lie of the devil. He wants the church to deny this set of gifts just like he would the others. Because he knows that they're essential to our church and to the growth of the church. Many people say, well, the reason that Paul put this gift last is because he wants to reorient the, the, the problem that the people in Corinth had. And what they believe is that the problem is they put too much emphasis on the gift of tongues. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem is not that they put too much emphasis on tongues. It was The problem was they, in the gathered assembly, they forgot that tongues was for the common good. And tongues without interpretation is not for any good to the, per, to the, the, the assembly. And we see that in chapter 14. So if you'll turn with me there, most of our time will be actually spent in chapter 14 because here Paul really gets to the issue. The church in Corinth has the gifts flowing, but they have elevated tongues without interpretation to such a level that they are now having people in disorderly manner speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation. And so it's actually dividing the church and it's causing the church to be in confusion. Because there's no interpretation. The, the point of this gift, these pair of gifts, is one is not good without the other. You say, well, where do you get that? Let's just read chapter 14. He says, starting in verse 1, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, is Paul here speaking about the same thing that he's talking about in chapter 12? In this case, I would say in some ways. Because when we speak in a tongue, we are speaking to God, not to man. The interpretation of tongues is an interpretation, not like English to Spanish or Spanish to English. 
It's not of a rational ability. It's not like God gives you an understanding of that language. It's God gives you a revelation of what is said so that the whole assembly can hear it. And I will further show that. Back to verse 2, he says, For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mystery. So we learn two things here about the gifts of speaking in tongues. It is spoken to God, and it is a speaking of mysteries. It is the Spirit speaking through us mysteries, not something that we would know. The Remember, the Spirit is the one that knows the depths of the Lord. And so, when the Spirit speaks mysteries... We don't understand it. And Paul makes an emphasis in verse 3. He says, But one who prophesy, prophesies speaks for, to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Do you see what I'm saying here? See, Paul is saying, look, When we speak in tongues without interpretation, this is the key. Many people take this verse right here and say, see, tongues are useless for the church. It shouldn't even happen in the church. But Paul isn't done. But what his point is, that tongues without interpretation is useless in the sense of edifying the church as a whole. It's not for the common good at that point. But prophecy edifies the church. Why? Because prophecy is in a known language that we understand. And that is able to edify the church. So just in case you're ready to jump off and say, See, I knew tongues weren't for today. Read verse 5. So many people ignore verse 5, and then they don't understand what's going on. What does Paul say? He says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. He's not saying, Look, uh, you need to get rid of tongues. That's the problem. No. Paul's problem is not that tongues, or really, we could translate this word languages. It's just the same way that they use the word in the Greek. But he says, But even more that you prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless he interprets. Do you see where I'm getting what I just said at the beginning that may have been like, Whoa, what, what are you saying? Why? So that the church may receive edifying. This is the whole purpose of the gifts, the edification of the church, the building up of the church as a whole. Now, you're saying, well, what about prayer in tongues? I mean, we don't have that translated. Is there a problem with that? 
Well, let's see. In verse 6 he says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you unless I speak to you either by a way of revelation or of knowledge or prophecy of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, and producing a sound, it does not produce a distinction in its tones. How will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? What's he saying? He's saying, look, tongues without interpretation is like just playing a note, one note, nothing else. No, when when you want somebody to go to battle, it's a particular set of notes that they're trained to hear. Oh, we all know the bugle call, probably. You know, da 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 that means get out the battle. Sorry, I'm not a great bugle buglist, but the soldiers are trained to listen for a set of sounds, and those set of sounds have meaning. In the same way, us when we learn a language as children, we are trained to understand that when what is the first word that most kids learn, other than maybe mom and dad. No. Hosanna has just started using the word no for everything. She doesn't know exactly what it, its use is, but she knows that that word has meaning. But we, we as children, we associate words with a specific meaning. And when we speak in tongues, there's no association because we don't know what those words mean. What those sounds mean in order. So they are like just the sound of a bugle without any variation. So, verse 9, Also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? It's for you will speak in the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. What are you saying? So if you came, if I came to some of you here and began to speak in Spanish, you would just look at me like, you're, I don't even know what you're saying. That's babble to me. Or to some others, I don't know if I could remember enough Hebrew. Most of you, I could start speaking in Hebrew, and you'd be like, are you speaking in tongues? Yeah. One time I came into, when I was in college, I went into the building where uh, the student ministry was there, and there was a Korean group praying together, and it sounded like tongues to me. I didn't know, I don't know if the Baptists would have let them in <laughs> if they were speaking in tongues, but I wouldn't have known the difference between tongues and Korean prayer. So, uh, I, it, it had no meaning to me. Why? Because I, di- I didn't know the language. I didn't have understanding of its meaning. And the one who speaks, verse 11, second half, will be a barbarian to me. So also you, 
since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. This is all going back to chapter 12, where we talked about the common good. This is for the building up of the church. The gifts were given for the building up of the church, not an individual alone. We are to be built up together, not, oh, Lone Ranger Jack over here and Lone Ranger so-and-so over there. There's no Jacks here, so we're good with that name. But we're called to be built up together. Yes, we're all growing at different rates, but we should be growing together and edifying one another. That's why the Spirit is given. As the Lord desires. So verse 13, Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So Paul is not throwing out the gift of tongues with interpretation. He is actually doubling down and saying, Look, if you all in the church are going to speak in tongues in this way, there needs to be interpretation. He's not rejecting what I would call devotional tongues. That's the term I'm going to use. And that would be what you do in prayer or in your car. But in the gathered assembly, this gift of speaking in tongues that Paul is referencing in chapter 12 is a gift that is for the common good of the church. It's not a gift that is described as what I would say devotional gift of the Spirit. I think that is where we come to our understanding of what is given when the Spirit is given to us. And I see that because I read in verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. My mind is unfruitful. So Paul is seeing a distinction. Right? Remember he said in verse 2, For one who speaks a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mystery. In verse 4 he says, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So in some way when we are speaking in tongues, whether before interpretation or devotionally in prayer or, or just speaking out to God, we're speaking glorifying God. And you say, oh, well, where in the world did you get that? Okay, Acts chapter 2, please. Sorry, I'm not trying to be uh, rude. I just want us to be sure that we see what this really is. So, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has been given. And it says in verse 3, and there appeared on them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested 
on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament that speaks of other tongues as in foreign languages. Not to say that Paul is saying in chapter 12 that this couldn't be foreign languages, but this is the only time that's recorded that when they spoke in tongues, it was understood by unbelievers. Let's see. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowds came together. I can't imagine what that sound must have sounded like. And were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, question. Do you think the 120 were scholars of language? That they had a great understanding of foreign languages? You know, they, they all went to university and took a, an individual language each so that they could... No! They didn't know what they were saying. They had no clue. But what were they saying? Verse 7 says, They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Ugh. Not only were they not, you know, fluent in other languages, they were from Galilee. And not to offend anyone from West Virginia, <laughs> we're from Kentucky, so I'm going to pick on West Virginia. Most people would pick on us. But um, we might say, oh, those people are from West Virginia. How in the world could they know these languages? They just live in the hollers over there. Well, that's how we think of. That's the stereotype, okay? <laughs> it's not always the truth. But we can pick a stereotype of the most uneducated area of our, our country and just stick Galilean there. Because that's what they were thinking. They were thinking, oh, these ignorant Galileans, they're, they're hillbillies. They have no education. And verse 8, and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra, Pamphylia, Egypt and districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Remember what Paul said? We're speaking to God. We are glorifying God. When we speak in tongues, and this I would say applies across the board, we're glorifying God. We always are. It will be God honoring. 
They're speaking the mighty deeds of God, the mysteries of God. What mighty deeds? I would guess what God has been doing through Jesus Christ. I don't know. But the interesting thing is, speaking in tongues here doesn't save them. It's the gospel message that Peter preaches. Many people want to say, well, tongues is a, a means of bringing the gospel to people. And I will say, there are instances that we all know of, of and have heard of, of somebody being in a street of a foreign city, speaking in tongues, and somebody heard a gospel message. I met a lady in, in Guatemala that she began to speak in tongues, and a guy came to her and said, how did you know blah, blah, blah? It was one of the indigenous languages. And she had shared the gospel in that language. This man knew Spanish. He was actually a scholar and had rejected God. But when she began to speak in his mother tongue that he was born with, he could not reject the gospel anymore because God had chosen to speak to him in a language that was dear to his heart. So God had used that. But I will not say... I don't believe that tongues is the primary purpose of tongues is not evangelism. In this case, God used it to draw people to himself. He he made he empowered his people on the day of Pentecost to speak in tongues and foreign languages that they did not know so that Peter would have the opportunity to preach the gospel. They all knew Greek, which is what Peter preached in. And so, when he began to preach, they had already heard of the mighty works of God in their own mother tongue, what they were speaking as babies, but now they heard the full gospel. Yeah, it wasn't exactly in their mother tongue, but it was powerful enough that 3,000 of them came to Christ. And the church expanded mightily. But some, some didn't like it so much, right? Verse 12, it says, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. Why? Because in the Middle Eastern time, when people began to babble, like they were mocking, we don't understand them. Oh, they're just they're just drunk. And Peter's first argument is, it's not even. Uh, what does he say? Uh, it's only the third hour of the day. They couldn't have gotten drunk by now. I mean, this is early in the morning. There's no way that this could be them drinking too much. But this is how many of the cult religions acted. And so these who were mocking and ridiculing the, the move of the Spirit were comparing it to these priestesses of Dionysus and other Greek gods who would drink wine and get in a frenzy. 
And so many who are opposed to the gift of tongues will use that, that, that passage there, as a, see, tongues are uncontrollable. There's no way. And I will say, no. Absolutely not. And you know why I can say that? Because when we get to what Paul says about the use of tongues in the church, you can't say it's a frenzy, a frenzied, ecstatic experience. That doesn't mean that it doesn't bring joy when it happens. But it is not out of control. So, back to verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I don't understand it. That's what Paul's saying. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Right? So, Paul is saying, Paul's not saying, oh, you can't pray in the spirit. I'm saying, look, we... We should be praying in the Spirit and in whatever our native tongue is for that instance of this church, English. When we sing, we can sing in the Spirit and we can sing in English. Because Paul says, otherwise if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying. So, can you imagine if we had someone over for dinner, and I just prayed in tongues for the food, and they're like, uh, I can't say amen because I don't know what you said. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, look, you're giving the blessing, but no one knows what you said, even you. So why would they say Amen. They don't understand. He says, For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Time out. So you mean to say that prayer is meant to edify? Yes, that's what Paul's saying. Even when we pray, and I would say the reason why that is, because when we hear the answer to those prayers... When we hear the faith of a brother or sister as they pray, then we're built up together. That's why I think it's important in in our prayer that we speak from the heart and we clearly pray in English before we begin to pray in the Spirit. Because we need to, to let the Lord know all that we believe about that situation and release our faith in that, and then begin to pray in the Spirit. Paul says in verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, or more than y'all. He says you all, but I mean, if he was from the south, he for sure would have just said y'all. I mean, if I said you all in the north, they'd be looking at me like, huh? It would probably be translated you guys if the Bible translation was made up in Indiana or, or Wisconsin or wherever. Or use guys if you go up to Minnesota. Um, 
But the point is, Paul is speaking in tongues. He's not against them, despite what many people want to say. So the gift of tongues is, in this case, an unknown language to the person who is speaking it. It could be a known language to another person, or it can be an angelic language. And you say, well, well, where do you get that? Well, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So love should motivate this gift. And so here he's the tongues of men and angels. So apparently when we speak in tongues, we're speaking one or the other. I don't know. And we don't know. God knows what it is. So Paul, in verse 20, sorry, in verse 19, he says, However, the church, so he just said, I speak in tongues more than you all. In the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's his point? When we gather together as a body of believers, it should be for the edifying of the assembly. Not the, the edifying of just a single person. That's why Paul is making it clear that tongues without interpretation is less than prophecy. But when there is interpretation, they're on the same level of edification for the church. That doesn't make tongues weaker because it it's, relies on interpretation. What if you were given prophecy in Korean? How useful would it be for SCA? Useless. But if you interpret it from Korean to English, then suddenly it's a useful prophecy. So tongues must... In the case of the the gathered assembly, when tongues are spoken, it should be with interpretation. In that sense, in in the tongues that we've talked about, a glorifying of God like in Acts chapter 2, the mysteries of God being spoken should be encouraging us, building us up. So how do we take what we know, the fact that it could be known languages, it can be unknown languages, not of this world. They're not known to you and I. 
I believe that devotional tongues is for everyone that asks. But this gift, Paul has made clear in chapter 12, is given to some as the Spirit desires to give. This particular gift, tongues that is accompanied by interpretation. But praying in tongues, speaking in tongues of the Lord, what I've decided to label devotional tongues, is something that I believe accompanies baptism of the Holy Spirit. And while some would like to argue, well, you can't make that distinction, I would say, no, Paul does when he talks about prayer and tongues, which we've already seen. Many are afraid of tongues because they think it's out of control. What if I show up at the supermarket and start speaking in tongues? And then people just go crazy and call me a lunatic and I get locked away in the loony bin. I have to go to the the mental hospital. No, (laughs) that's not going to happen. Yeah, you can pray in tongues in the supermarket if you want for somebody. But God's not going to just make you speak in tongues without you giving way. Which is another part of all the gifts. We have to will and, and surrender to God's move through us. So if God gives you a tongue to speak in church, it's going to take faith because you have to believe that either you or someone else in the church has an interpretation. Because you don't want to be a cause of confusion and disorder in the church. So how do we, as a church, function in this? Well, one thing we need to remember is just because you have the gift of the Spirit and have spoken in tongues does not mean that this gift has been given to you. Again, I, I think there's a separation of these two. So just, just because you speak in tongues devotionally does not mean that you will speak in tongues as this gift that Paul describes. But I would say interpretation of tongues is essential to the move of the gift of speaking in tongues in the church. And I believe that's what Paul has made clear. We need both to be functioning in our church, not just one or the other. And interpretation, the gift of interpretation of tongues is no weaker than speaking in tongues or prophecy because they're necessary to one another. When we get to verse 20, it says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. 
Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even they, even so they will not listen to me. So Paul has decided to take a text from Isaiah 28. And if you look there, sorry, I had to take a picture because my printer isn't working, of a quote. (laughs) Uh, Not necessarily the best way. I guess I should get my printer set up. But, so Paul is saying, look, you're being immature as, as believers. And this is why. Verse 22, he says, So then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. What kind of sign? But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Okay, Paul, I am super confused. Have you ever read this passage and just been like, what in the world are you saying? I have, and until last night, I stumbled upon something that um, a couple commentators said, but I really like what uh, D.A. Carson said. He said, Unintelligible communication from God was a sign to his unbelieving people that the curses of the Mosaic Covenant had fallen on them. While the powerful prophetic ministry of the church is a sign that God's presence has been restored to His redeemed and believing people. When God was continuing to prophesy to the people, it was showing His love to them. They could understand it in their own language. But what He is quoting here in Isaiah 28 is a a declaration of God's judgment on Israel. This prophecy in Isaiah 28 is fulfilled by the Assyrian army army who speak other languages. And when they come, they speak judgment, and yet the people will not listen to them. Why? They don't understand. At that point, God has decided judgment is coming. They can still speak my words, and you won't even be able to understand because you don't care. It's too, too late. So what Paul is doing by quoting Isaiah 28 here is he's saying, look, tongues without interpretation is a curse on those who hear it. It's useless for them because though it may speak of the glories of God, they cannot understand what's being said. But prophecy is a sign for believers. Why? Because believers, when they hear a prophecy, can understand and take action on what they hear. If you can't understand what is being said in the case of tongues without interpretation, then it is a curse upon you. Because you can't understand it, so you can't take action, even if you wanted to. So Paul is taking this passage from Isaiah 28 that is directed to a disobedient, ungodly people who have decided that they will not obey God. And he's saying, look, 
When you speak in tongues and there's no interpretation in the church, then you're doing the same thing. It doesn't mean that the tongues are not from God. It just means that there needs to be interpretation. So this is why I've come to the conclusion that the problem in Corinth was not tongues. It was the lack of interpretation of tongues and the lack of order in the assembly. Therefore, verse 23, let's get Paul's um, description of what we should be doing. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? You're crazy. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is a called account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So you notice Paul is leaving interpretation of tongues out. When he talks about tongues, he doesn't talk about interpretation. He just says, when they speak in tongues. So if you're speaking in tongues, there's no interpretation. And the people who come are like, these people are crazy. And it's used by the devil and God's will to harden that person. So they can't understand it. They reject the word of God. But when he prophesies, like we talked about when we talked about prophecy with Charles Spurgeon, times he would say, God told me you were going to go kill yourself today or what, you know, whatever this, the prophecy was. And it was to that specific person who needed to hear it. And how many times have we heard stories like that? Of God speaking directly to a lost person or whatever means. So, what is the outcome then? What, what is it that we should do, brother, brethren? Verse 26. When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, and that's it. Right? Is that where Paul stops? No, he says, has a tongue and has an interpretation. Time out, I thought, I thought tongues and interpretation ended. Right? When Paul died, when the last apostle died, tongues were no longer. They only, tongues only lasted from the day of Pentecost to the last apostle's death. How many of you have heard that? That's crazy. It, I don't want to call people who say that crazy, but it, it doesn't make any sense. Why would God, in the new covenant, start something that has never happened in the history of the world up to that point? Tongues is never mentioned in the Old Testament as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? I can't go back to the Old Testament and find stories of people who spoke in tongues. Because when t- 
tongues was something that was given specifically on the day of Pentecost as the beginning of the church. On the founding of the church. And yet, we as an American intellectual say, well, it's too irrational. We're going to throw it out. We can't explain it, so it must not be for today. No. Just because you can't explain it, because it's supernatural, or what some people say, supramental, like we don't, when we begin to speak in tongues, we're letting the Spirit speak. We're not doing it mentally. We don't, we don't understand what we're saying. But it's interesting, you read this list, and these two gifts that are paired together are the only ones mentioned by name. Remember the list from chapter 12? Do you see those here? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation. Are those mentioned specifically in that list in chapter 12? No. But tongues and interpretation are. They are. Paul is not throwing out tongues and interpretation. He's actually saying, look, this should be common practice in the church. Not uncommon. To which many in John MacArthur circles would fall out of their chairs. And I, I don't want to throw John MacArthur completely out because he has some good things to say, say about other things. But when it comes to this topic, he is totally off. I don't know what you do with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 if you say that sign gifts are cut off. Because these two, you can't do anything else with them. You can't change them. They're they're the exact same words that Paul used in chapter 12 and has been talking about the whole time of chapter 14. So Paul is not saying... Let's get rid of tongues because they're a problem. No, he's saying, let's have a tongue, let each one have a tongue and an interpretation. This should be ongoing. This isn't a, a practice that should end. It should be continuing. Let all things be done for edification. That's Paul's point. That's his argument, I think, for the whole book of Corinthians. We should be seeking to edify and build up one another. That's what this word edification means, to build up. So Paul gives a little bit more instruction in verse 27. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three. And each in turn... And one must, must interpret. He doesn't say 
one, two, or three must, but he does say one must interpret. So, that could be the one who speaks in tongues. Why? Because Paul said, remember, early part of chapter 14, pray that you may interpret. So it could be you or it could be another person in the body who interprets. But it should be in turn and not out of order. We've all heard of charismatic or Pentecostal churches that are just out of control. And if you've ever been to Guatemala, you've seen it. I've seen it. Why? Because many times sound teaching on the use of the gifts is totally ignored. People are so excited that people in Guatemala are speaking in, or whatever country they're going to are speaking in tongues and, and seeing the gifts flow that they forget, wait, Paul actually took time to teach on these things. Not to quench the Spirit, but so that the Spirit would be enabled to move in the proper way in the church. And to keep the devil out. Because if the Spirit is not the one moving, and people begin to, oh, I just love this feeling, oh, the fog machines and... The, the dim lights. Oh, let's turn the lights all the way off while we pray because that'll feel super spiritual. No. No, I'm not playing that game. I'm out. You want to turn the lights off when we have perfectly good electric? I don't, I don't, I don't get behind that. It's different if you have to pray in the dark because you don't have an option. But I don't, I don't see how turning the lights out makes something better. Or whatever, whatever the, the, the way that some do, do to try to increase this, this emotional feeling. It doesn't mean that we should disassociate all emotion from the Spirit's move. But what it does mean is we need to be led by the Spirit and not by our emotions and whether we believe the Spirit is moving. It may be that God gives you a tongue to speak, and you don't feel like doing it. Maybe it feels, oh, I have to do this? Uh, uh. Your heart starts racing because you're like, this is about to happen, and I'm afraid that there's not going to be interpretation. The devil comes in and tries to shut you down. And we need to press in. Okay, Lord, We've been hearing about this, and I am ready to be faithful because I know that you've given this to me. I'm going to trust that an interpretation will come to someone else or, or even me, and I'll begin to move in this gift, and we'll see God speak. I think something we need to notice here is Paul doesn't say that more than one must interpret. He says one must interpret. And I would say for every 
it seems, I mean, don't take this as gospel truth, but it seems from what he's saying, each time someone speaks in a tongue, there should be one to interpret in turn, and then the next one speaks in tongue, and then interpretation in that order. But he gives us a, a caution in verse 28. 28. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. I don't know how you know if there's an interpreter and being led by the Spirit, I guess. But if there is a constant move of people speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, then there needs to be a, a word of caution to us and to uh, the people in the church. And, and, a, and it should cause us to press in, Lord, you keep giving me these tongues, but there's no interpretation. Lord, calls me to interpret or, or calls someone else in the church to be given this gift so we can experience its flow in the church. We need it. It is a common practice that we should have. Verse 39. Paul says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. So, what's the problem? What has been the problem is that it's not been done in order. It's not been done properly. And that's the problem. The problem is not that we should forbid tongues because there's been abuse of tongues and it's used in the church. The problem is that they haven't been interpreting of tongues. And so instead of forbidding it, we should be asking God, as Paul says, to interpret. That God would begin to move in our church so that we're having... People speaking in tongues with interpretation. Because this is for the common good, and it should be common practice in the church. I know this is a very... It's been hard in this series because I feel like I'm teaching more than I am preaching. And I know that may not may mean much of a difference to you, but it does to me. But going through this list is more difficult for me to preach because I have so much I want to say and I want to make sure that we're being faithful to what Scripture says about these gifts. But I do pray that what I have said you have found to be true in Scripture and that what I have said has encouraged you to be filled with the Spirit in this way, to cry out to God, to fill you afresh and to begin to move through you so that our church could experience all these gifts. They all have value. And we're going to see next week. I, I really hope that you'll be here next week because I am... What I have read in this, this second section of chapter 12 
I think it's so important to understanding why the gifts are so important and why we should not put one above the other. They all have value in the church and they're necessary, just like each and every one of us has value. And we have a role in the church that God is desiring to use us to fulfill and to build up one another. We might get back to that battleship and submarine analogy. Well, we, we will. But I think as a church, we need to be together. We, we can't function separately. We will be sunk alone. We need one another. We need to be building up one another. And that's why the Spirit was given. To edify and build up the church and make it a strong place where when you come here, you know you are with those who love the Lord and are growing in the Lord and will fight to the death for all that God has promised and are unwilling to back down because it's no longer popular in the world to be a true Christian. There are a lot of people running around saying, well, I'm a Christian. It's just like uh, one of my brothers mentioned yesterday, this, this uh, political commentator who apparently decided that expletives plus our current president's name was a Christian way to describe the leader of our country. He said, I can't believe that this man, I don't even know who the person was on radio, would call himself a Christian and use expletives to describe a leader of our country. And that's the thing. You don't think that our world is looking at these people who carry the name Christian and aren't saying, well, you guys are the problem. Persecution is coming, and we need the Spirit to give us strength, to unify us, to give us discernment. We're going to have to rely on the Spirit's move in our body. I don't know when this persecution will really come, but it's not. I know Mr. Hamilton spoke about it. For long periods of my lifetime. And I thought, well, you know, this could be any moment. But I feel it even more strongly today with what I am seeing the, the quick move to, to shut people down, to take away their ability to communicate with others. It, uh, it should serve as a warning to us as a church that we need to be fighting spiritually. We, we cannot win this battle with words on Facebook. No. Or Twitter, wherever you like to get in your arguments. <laughs> You're not going to win. It is not a battle you can win because the devil is deceiving people. People who claim Christ are being deceived at this very moment by something they read on Facebook, by something they read on some news article. We need to know God's Word. We need to have His Spirit moving in us so that we as a church, we as individuals, we as fathers and mothers and and single people and children will be discerning of what the devil is doing around us. We need His Spirit in our midst. Let's pray.
Father, we need every gift that you give. There's so much that we don't know that is going on around us, and yet, Lord, you give us your spirit so that we can battle against the forces of Satan. Lord, our battle is not against human elements, Lord. It is against the demonic powers, the prince of the power of the air, Lord. It is against the world, and it's the spirit that is of this world. Lord, give us your spirit so that we can be faithful ambassadors of your kingdom, of your reign. That where we go, Lord, your presence would be evidenced in the gifts of the Spirit. And that our church, Lord, would be a beacon of your light, of your joy and peace that comes because your Spirit is flowing here. Lord, it's easy at times to feel discouraged when we look around us and see so many empty seats or to see our brothers and sisters and that we've known for years or, or all the different people who have walked away from the faith, Lord, or given up truth for lies. Lord, give us discernment and courage to speak, even though it may lead to persecution. That we would be faithful ambassadors of your word, of your truth, and of your kingdom, Lord. Lord, we desire more than anything to be with you. We need your presence. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Guide us by your Spirit. As we go this week, Lord, I pray you would bless us with peace and joy, that your presence would fill our hearts, that you would deliver us in any way that the devil is attacking us, whether it's physical ailment. Uh, we just rebuke Satan's attacks against our physical bodies. And we pray, Lord, and trust, Lord, that you will heal us and deliver us. And Lord, if there's any mental or spiritual things going on in our lives that we haven't recognized, Lord, I pray you'd give us discernment so that we can, by your Spirit, deal with those things and experience deliverance from the power of the enemy. And Lord, if there is anything in our lives that is hindering your move in our body as we come together, I pray you would expose those sins so that, Lord, we could, as a body, experience your presence. Lord, give us courage and faith that you desire to move when you begin to move so that we could function in these gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.